Dog Talk and Kitties Too. I'm Tracy Hotchner. I love dogs and cats and the people who care about them. I'm here every week with authors and experts to expand our appreciation and understanding of the animals that share the planet with us. To hear earlier episodes of this show and download podcasts of other informative Pet Talk radio shows I co-host with top veterinarians and experts, please go to RadioPetLady.com. Dog Talk is a production of Pet Media, Inc., which is solely responsible for its content. The Radio Pet Lady Network also produces the Dog Film Festival, which celebrates the love between dogs and their people and the rescue groups that bring them together. With a grant from the nonprofit Petco Foundation, I'm taking the first festival to dog lovers in cities across the country. I'll be back in New York City with the second annual festival, October 15th at Symphony Space. All the information is at dogfilmfestival.com. This show is brought to you with the generous support of Waruva, a privately owned pet food company that uses people food to make food for cats and dogs in their family's human food facility. Pouches of their cats in the kitchen, their more economical BFF, best feline friend, and all varieties of canned Waruva for cats and dogs are made with the same care and specifications used to make food for people. Waruva's owners want to feed your pets and their own dogs and rescued kitties, Webster, Rudy, and Vanessa, for whom the company is named, with ingredients that are good enough for people to eat. I have three very interesting women joining me today. Casey Klonsky is going to be here to talk about her wonderful movie, Love Unleashed, which is going to be in the Dog Film Festival next week. Teresa Stern's going to be here from Guide Dogs for the Blind, talking about herself and her partner, Wills. And we're just going to do a lot of talking about Guide Dogs for the Blind. You know, I'm just crazy on that subject. And Benita Raffin will be here about her movie, Pete the Dog, also in the Dog Film Festival, a very different look at Adoption and Dogs from Rescue. Casey, welcome to the show, and congratulations on having finished this beautiful, heartwarming heartwarming movie. Thank you so much, Tracy, and thank you for having me. It's, I am honored to be here. It's a pleasure. I know your mo- this grew out of a book that your mom is doing for National Geographic, I think by the same name. Is it by the same name, the book? The book is called Unconditional Older Dogs, Deeper Loves. But that's really what your movie's about. It is. So then the movie started originally as a video series, um, which I was traveling around with my mom and filming her for the project she was doing long before we even knew that it was going to be a book um, and way before it was taken on by National Geographic. And, you know, we just kind of thought it would be great marketing and she's a photographer and I'm a filmmaker and we thought we absolutely should be teaming up as a mother-daughter team, wow. and then it just organically grew into this film. That is so, see, I sort of knew that, but not exactly, that she didn't have the book contract. She says she's a very accomplished photographer, and I didn't realize she didn't even have the book contract yet. This was just, I know your projects oh, yeah. projects of love. I mean, clearly this book and this film come from a place of just, you know, passionate respect and admiration and love for people and their dogs and and how they come together. But how amazing that you decided to be a mother-daughter multimedia team. How unusual is that? 
Yeah, I think we're incredibly lucky. I've always been very close to my mom growing up. Um, and they say the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. Um, but what we do is a little bit different. She is a photographer. That's right. A photographer and I'm a filmmaker. And so our, our talents really and our, and our craft really don't totally overlap, although they work very well together. And it's kind of funny that it took us Gosh, I'm 27, so it took us 27 years to figure it out. Um, <laughs> oh, you mean you figure this out the day you were born? Shame on you. <laughs> but now that we know how well we work together, I mean, I'm so excited about all the projects that we have, you know, in our future, which, you know, we don't even know about yet, but we'll figure That's those right. out. But it's just so right. great. You don't know, but it's just an incredible feeling to have a creative collaborator just happens to share your DNA and be your mom or, or in her case, be your daughter. Oh, yeah. What an incredible and rare thing. I mean, you don't even hear any more about people and their sons or daughters following in their parents' footsteps in a business, you know, not even following in their footsteps, much less kind of being a shadow who, in in your way, you make her shadow longer because she's taking oh, still so photographs nice. that, you know, they capture something, a, a photograph, a still photograph has to do so much. It has to work so hard to get the emotion, so right? And and in fact, yeah. it... it especially the way you're doing it as a documentary, you just, you just put yourself in that space and wait for the, for the magic and the drama and the heartfelt stuff to happen. Talk a little bit about these senior dogs and the, and the issue of senior dogs and adoption. Cause I have something sort of surprising to tell me to tell you after you tell me what your knowledge and experience is about their plight in, in shelters. You know, I think we learned so much over the course of this project. I mean, my eyes were totally open to not only the need that is out there for senior dogs, but also on the contrary, the amount of people that are out there that have such an unbelievable amount of love to give these dogs that I think equally, or actually probably more blew me away than knowing that there is such a need. Cause that was kind of, you know, I knew that there were shelters and seeing it was hard and knowing that, you know, senior dogs are often the ones that are given up first or the last to be adopted because everyone wants the puppies. But there are so many organizations out there that are working to set people up with senior dogs or that work to just find senior dogs and find homes for them. There are even, my, my favorite new term is um, phospis care for senior dogs. And there are organizations that we came across that do phospis for senior dogs, which is dogs that are no longer adoptable because they are you know, they might have a week left to live um, or a month. And there are waiting lists of people that want to take these dogs home. Oh, my God. You just the best gave, end of life. Yeah. You just gave me I chills. Know. Now, I'll tell you that the, it's first, amazing. the first time that my audience and many people heard about pospis, which is like hospice, but with a dog paw at the first oh, part of the world, is it's pospis. It came from a very dear friend of mine and uh, a wonderful oncologist called Alice Villalobos. And she is renowned in the veterinary field. She has gone to vet conferences. She's gone globally all over the world, France, England, Germany, on the topic of pospis. And in her case, it's how to identify when an animal is in that phase of their lives where we want to give them the best quality of life, but we also want to watch and see how that quality is maintained so that when the time is right for them, we can remove them from the suffering that has at that point increased. So the pospis care is also for the caregivers to, to really identify how that dog is doing on a daily basis. But the fact that there's a waiting list, I mean, what is the world full yeah. of St. Francis's or something? 
Isn't that amazing? And that specifically was Muttville Senior Dog Rescue in the Bay Area. But there are there are so many like that. And it's you often hear the sad stories, but I love, you know, that that woman is doing that. I mean, it's I think it's something that should be celebrated because I think there are more people out there that if they knew this was an option, they would do it. I mean, it's all it's all a mindset, right? Like that's one thing that I yes. learned was the people that take these dogs in. We have such an aversion in our culture to you know, things that are growing older and death because we have such a hard time saying goodbye to things. Um, and that's why everyone wants the puppies, right? Because death is so far away. But the way that these people are looking at it is like, if I can give these dogs a week of love that they never had and make their last week of life amazing, then it's, it's all worth it. And I just think like, if we can figure out a way to live life like that every day um, and just kind of have a different mindset, it would just go a long way. Well, wouldn't it be nice if we had a similar feeling about people? And there are people oh, who do yeah. this for people. Um, the, I have friends who volunteer for hospice because one of the mandates, as I understand it, at least in Vermont, and of course there's the other small irony that you and your mom are both Vermonters, although now, now you live in Portland, but uh, you still, <laughs> still keep, your Vermont, you keep your Vermont area code. So it's just nice to know that the sensibility <laughs> is a Vermont sensibility, although you two traveled all over for it. But at yes. least in, in Massachusetts and and in uh, Vermont and maybe other places, to have a hospice organization, you have to have a certain amount of volunteer time as part of what you offer as an organization. It isn't just paid nurses or paid professionals. And I have a friend who does it all the time, and there's also a group a friend who does it all the time in the Berkshires, actually. She's in her 80s, and she's often sitting with people that are nonverbal, or sometimes they're very verbal, and they supposedly are at the end of their life, but sometimes that can go on instead of days or weeks for months. And the same thing with these old dogs, right? I mean, that's the amazing yes. thing. People say it's the last week, and then you often hear these stories. Six months later, this dog's living large. But there is a group called No One Dies Alone, Noda and my friend Lisa, who's in the ambulance in East Hampton, she and several other people um, are members of that organization. And when there is a person with no family members, either from isolation or age or some other reason, they sit around the clock with that person who may not even be conscious on the idea that no one should die alone. And that's that's a very touching idea. And and as you say, in our culture, we don't like to look at old age. It can be not so pretty or awkward. And, you know, it's we're all going to get there. Yeah, well, we hope we all get there. We like to all live to be old people, and we want our dogs to be old dogs, right? Exactly. It's something that we don't talk about enough in our culture, so people are scared of it. It's not yes. celebrated the way it should be, but it's somehow it's easier to talk about it in the context of dogs. That's something yes. that I noticed yes. along the way. That's a really good point. And Love Unleashed is just full of these individuals and couples who have taken in an older dog when the dog was already older. And just there, or sometimes they're, the dog has become older and now you're filming them and mm-hmm. they have this dog they've had for a long time. But their sense of generosity of spirit to the dogs, of, you know, patience, of, uh, you know, the, the whole idea that sometimes with an old dog, and Alexandra Horowitz wrote this in her second book, about dogs as her old, her first dog got older, sometimes you're just sitting together on a patch of grass looking out at the world. There's no walks anymore. There's no agility contests. You're just quietly looking at the world. And sometimes the dog 
the older dog can give us something that a younger dog can't possibly. We're trying to provide this great quality of life for those younger dogs. The older dog is giving us a moment to be still and reflective. And I think you probably found that quite a lot. Oh, we found that everywhere. Yes, it was. That is such a trend. I think (laughs) there are so many parallels between dogs and humans. And I think that's one of them. And it's just like this beauty of the end of um, life in which we are able to look at it and kind of celebrate it with dogs, but it's just a lot harder for us to talk about it in the context of humans. Well, of course, um, with dogs, people... we're, able, we're able to end suffering. And with people, we're fearful that the suffering is intense, it's going to get worse, it's going to drag on, and often it does. And with dogs, right, because exactly, of hospice, yeah. and what and Dr. Villalobos came up with as her, as her hum scale about quality of life, whether they're eating, whether they're hydrating, whether they're moving around or not, we're able to say, oh, You've had more bad days than good or more bad hours than good. Well, let me remove you from from your suffering. Uh, before you continue with what you were going to say, I just want to say the extraordinary thing I just found out, having come from bringing the Dog Film Festival to Chicago, to Paws Chicago, which is an incredibly successful shelter that has something like a 98.5 live release rate, meaning that's the percentage of dogs that do not get home and get a great home. And that's pretty cool. And she said something to me, Paula Faseas, who is the director who will be on the air mm-hmm. sometime soon. They can't keep senior dogs in the shelter. They are the first to go. I, I thought she would, I misunderstood. I said, people want the senior. She said, absolutely. They don't spend a day. Yeah, that's amazing. And that must be because of great education and outreach by the shelter. Yes. And PAWS is an incredible organization. Tell Paula that we send our love. Oh. We did a lot of work with them. Oh, I'll we, be we, we uh, I got to interview you know a I lot of people. That. I forgot that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you ladies really made quite a tour of the country. You obviously hit we all the highs. And we're still touring. We're still touring. I was up in the San Juan Islands with my mom just last month, and we filmed an incredible dog off the coast of the San Juans. Um, whose job it was to to find killer whale scat. Who was oh helping to identify the yeah, incredible dog. And he's actually helping researchers to um figure out different patterns in the killer whales um habits that, that can help figure out how to save them because they're endangered. I mean it's just so cool. I mean so no, still, no still offense, working, but still traveling. wouldn't people see killer whale scat? I imagine it's rather large whales being No, scat. it's so tiny and it's almost impossible to detect. No kidding. Mm-hmm. How it's so cool. amazing. That is really yeah, cool. Yeah, really cool. Are you going to make a yeah, are like you, are making, the human you are making a movie, right? <laughs> are you? Amazing. Well, yes, I, I filmed him and we did lots of interviews up there. And so that will be in the next film. So everyone has to oh, stay tuned. great. Excellent. So that will be for <laughs> Dog Film Festival number three. I think that exactly. it's really wonderful that you did something to be supportive of your mother and her book and her project and then discovered that it had a lot of depth for you as a filmmaker and as an artist yourself. I mean, isn't that like another gift? I mean, that's really the point of the Dog Film Festival is the celebration of this human canine bond that is always surprising. We think we know our own experience, oh, but but as you say, it can be so expanded. It can be it can grow in many ways and I think our willingness to be open to those emotions and experiences is something that we at the moment, we Americans at least seem to have more with our dogs and our cats than with our humans. And that's what you found, yes. too. It is totally what I found. 
And being open to those experiences is just the key, right? I mean, we heard that time and time again from every dog owner. And I mean, we felt it firsthand. It's, yeah, it's like letting them in is so important and being open. And I hope that one day that we can translate that into how we treat each other. It, with any luck, we're gonna we'll we'll see a little reflection back. I'm I'm thinking of my my wonderful friend Kirsten in in East Hampton, who she and her dog Ollie listen to this show every Saturday while they're out throwing a ball. Aww. But but Ollie's really old. He was actually a September 11th Black Lab. Some folks who were near Ground Zero and September 11th, they moved full time out to East Hampton where they'd had just a weekend house. And to make things easier, they thought for their daughter, they bought a, a lab puppy and it, it, their lifestyle did not allow them to take care of it. And they, they knew Kirsten and they gave her the puppy. She had another really cool dog at the time. So it's now all these years later and Ollie's still alive, but he's really old and he's creaky and he's got a few lumps here and there. And, and he's um, incontinent. His poop just kind of falls out of him. And, you know, it doesn't bother her at all. And I think it's so important that I say that out loud because when she said it to me, I'm like, wow, that's just so kind of you. I said, well, do you put a diaper on him or something? She goes, no, it's okay. I just watch what I feed him and I just pick it up. But, you know, how often are we going to ever be that kind to other to old people? You know, that we aren't. We aren't. That are <laughs> and we make, should be. We should be. So I, I just want to say to Kirsten and Ollie that, I mean, that's a really great example of dedication it is. you know and, and love and you just go that. all the way to the end with it and and we we do need we to do. look and I, and at that, old human that story doesn't even surprise me like i've heard so many amazing stories like that of dedication of people to their dogs to the very end over the course of this project that that that's incredible but it doesn't surprise me there are so many people like that and she sh- and we should be celebrating stories like that. And, that, really and that's exactly exactly what your movie Love Unleashed does. And it's in what is turn- turning out to be the most popular program of the four programs um, on October 15th at Symphony Space in the city. Oh, yeah, so it's Tons of tickets are selling out because the name of – it's interesting. The name of that program is Love Makes the World Go Round, Who Rescued Whom? And, the other oh. ones have themes that sound really fun and interesting, and people are definitely interested. But the one that yours is in, people want to have that experience, Casey. They want to feel love the love, that. see the love, experience it. So you just keep on doing what I'm you're so, doing. It's a good so thing. glad. Thank yeah, you. Well, I did, I did just want to share on the topic we were just on, like one amazing quote that a friend of mine said to me. Gosh, it must have been like almost two years ago now. Um, before I even made this longer film, um, we were talking about the project and he said, you know, I really think that dogs bring out the best side of human beings. And, you know, I walked away from that and I really thought about it. It's something that's been in the back of my head for the, as I've continued with this project. And I think that that summarizes it so well and is so spot on because I think that the way we treat our dogs is, I mean, and oftentimes it is better than the way we treat humans but it is it it really brings out the absolute best in people i agree and i want to share i want people to learn from from well they will they will learn it from your film and all the others and i'm sorry you're up in portland and god knows where you'll be filming (laughs) october 15th but we'll be thinking of you and sending you lots of love and thanks thank you thank you for everything it was great talking to you may come up to portland with it next year and that would be so fun all right we'll work on that you take (laughs) care and thanks for being here bye-bye all right tracy have a great day you too we'll be right back after this quick word with Teresa stern from guide dogs for the blind 
This show is made possible in part by Precious Cat Litter, owned by Dr. Elsie, a feline-only veterinarian in Colorado who has created innovative litters for the health of all members of the family, with low-dust litters that allow everyone to breathe easier. Precious Cat's newest health monitor litter has broken new ground by allowing people to find the early signs of kidney disease in their kitty cats and intervene before damage is done, prolonging the quality and length of a cat's life. This show is also brought to you with the generous support of Nordic Naturals, omega-3 fish oil products that provide dogs and cats with the same premium quality omega-3 fish oils as for people. Research shows that even the best diets are deficient in the essential fatty acids found in omega-3 oils. However, all fish oil is not created equal. The Nordic Naturals difference is that their oil comes from Norway, where they use responsibly sourced healthy wild fish and third-party testing to guarantee purity and freshness. I am back with Teresa Stern, very impressive title at Guide Dogs for the Blind. She's the Vice President of Outreach Admissions and Alumni Services, where I met her, oddly and strangely and wonderfully enough, was at Christie's when my goddaughter Melissa was having a preview cocktail party of all of her mother Joan Rivers stuff that was going to be sold at auction, and a bunch of the proceeds were going to go to Guide Dogs for the Blind which is a group that Joan cared about a lot and gave donations to. And when she won on The Apprentice, she really wished she could split it between guide dogs and uh, and love God's love we deliver, but she wasn't allowed to split it up. So it was really great that Melissa knew and remembered and had actually been to the guide dogs headquarters in San Rafael when she was much younger with her mom. So I came up to Teresa, not knowing she had this important position, but kind of just loving her dog, Wills, who's the coolest dog, and having the greatest conversation with her. So, Teresa, thank you for taking time out from your very busy schedule to continue our conversation about what Guide Dogs for the Blind does and what that relationship is like for you and for all the other people whose lives have been enhanced by their pooches. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure, Tracy. So how did you, I mean, just how does it happen that a, that a person has a guide dog, and you've now had several, which we'll discuss, how do you wind up working for this organization that changed your life and then being in a really important position? Were you already a businesswoman before you got your first guide dog, or were you so young that you hadn't started a career yet? Well, I wish I could say that I was so young, but I wasn't. Uh, no, I um, I have a master's degree in special education rehab uh, rehabilitation for the blind is, is oh. my my education, and I was working at the Lighthouse for the Blind in San Francisco at the time, and I had just gotten my first guide dog, and I um, was so impressed with the program, and I felt passionately about it. Um, you know, I, I heard that there was a job opening for outreach, which was really, um, so I came in as the outreach manager. This was 17 years ago. And, um, yes. And, um, and I was passionate about that because as a person with, with, I I'm legally blind, but I have a little bit of vision. I didn't realize that I would qualify for a guide dog. And so when I did find out that I would qualify for a guide dog, it changed my life. And so the idea of doing outreach and letting others know about this great program really, you know, got my juices flowing. I yes. was super excited to do it. And so, um, so yes, I'm just super lucky to, um, to, to have a job that I'm passionate about. Yeah, and that you're so well suited for because I imagine if you're reaching out to people who have no sight or completely limited sight, 
they're going to be more comfortable if somebody in their same position is the one explaining how a dog can change their life as opposed to somebody that doesn't walk in their shoes, let's say. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's, you know, it it it's, it, de- it definitely helps because I can really kind of give them an idea yes. of of what it's going to be like and let them know the you know the good parts and then some of the challenges too. Yeah, not easy. I mean, when I saw you in New York, having barely escaped with my own life, I thought to cross the street and get in a cab and come <laughs> to Christie's and go to the wrong address by the way, uh, because I thought it was oh, no. the other Christie's or what have you. I I asked you, well, how can you dare to go out on the street? I mean, Wills is obviously a great guide dog, but explain how you navigate in a not only in a new city, but with a massive amount of pedestrians, ridiculous amount of cars, people turning, you know, in strange places, in strange ways. How, how, do, you, how do you, the rest of us are in awe. I mean, I, I can just speak for everybody else. We watch you, you teams, like cutting a swath through the sea and the mess and, I don't know. Do you have a magic bubble around you? How do you do that and, and be bold and brave to do it when you can't see where you're going? Right. right. Well, it, maybe it helps that we can't see. <laughs> <laughs> you know, maybe that is but, a trick. <laughs> but actually, you know, um, as a you know pe- person with a visual impairment, I learned as a child, you know, what they call orientation and mobility skills, and that um, generally is using the long white cane, and they. Uh, you know, there's a, a whole, you know, sort of curriculum that you go through to learn how to sort of get around without being able to, you know, use as much vision as, as most people can or any vision at all. Right. And, um, and it, you know, it's, it's so you get all the basics. And I think the hard part is actually just going out and making yourself do it, right? Cause, yes. You know, the confidence issue, that's such a big deal. And that, to me, is really where the guide dog um, was super helpful. So, um that just having this, you know, this amazing animal next to me, not feeling alone in the, you know, right. in this whole jumble right. craziness, yes, um, really, really helped my anxiety level a ton and helped me to get out more. So, um, so I think you know, it's, some of it is just you have to sort of take that leap and and go for it, um, and then having you know the background of having some skills, you know, under your belt, some tricks and things that that you would learn from an orientation mobility instructor helps as well. So you do you do the outreach. You're, you're looking for people mm-hmm. that are possible candidates. And then you're part of the admission process, which means those people who seem, I'm asking you this, not telling you, those people who seem like they would be a suitable partner with a dog. I, I imagine there are people who simply don't have dog skills or the desire to have a dog share their life so intimately. Is that right? Yes, you're absolutely right. So we have... Um, we have a, a whole application process, and a lot of that is sort of assessing whether the person has those uh, fundamental orientation and mobility skills that I was talking about. Cause I see. Those are also fundamental to working with a guide dog as well. So you have to kind of know how to get around and, and to be able to figure out sort of where you are in space, you know, count blocks and, and yes. you know when it's safe to cross the street by going with the parallel traffic and those kind of basic things before you start working with a with a guide dog. Because otherwise, I always like to say, if you don't know where you're going, the guide dog's just going to take you where he wants to go, which could be you know, the butcher shop or the, the toy store or whatever. So, um, so it's really important that you have that um, that sort of basic qualification. And, and so some people don't have that yet. You know, they may lose their 
vision and think, gosh, I just need a dog and that's going right. to solve everything for right. me. Um, and so when we get calls from people like that, which we often do, what we'll do is, is refer them to, you know, agencies that serve folks with visual impairments so that they can get some of those fundamental skills. Uh. And then once they've got those, then they can come in and we do a home interview with them. So we meet everybody, um, you know, we send an instructor out to their house, wherever they live in the U.S. or Canada, wow. and make sure that it's a good fit for a dog and you know, that the person's going to be successful. Um, and then we bring them in for two weeks of training um, and then, you know, they graduate. And then after graduation, we have uh, folks that work in the field that will help out if there's any problems you know we also have a phone center so people could call in if they have concerns you know if they you know have some questions or you know things aren't aren't going exactly right um so we're there for them and also we're there for them for any veterinary care um costs that they might need help with as well so and, and you provide that do you have companies that give free products and free services i imagine you must we have you know we we do have some good partnerships um one partnership that's kind of coming to mind right now is with Natural Balance, nice. a dog food company. Yeah, and they do. Um, they actually provide our graduates with with coupons that make their high quality dog food a little bit easier, you know, attainable for, yes. for folks that might be on a fixed income. Um, and then, you know, what we are supported by just amazing private donors like Joan Rivers I and see. Melissa, who really make it possible for us to do this. Um, we don't take any, uh, we don't have any state funding or any government funding, any federal government funding. Um, and we don't charge, there's no charge at all to the client that, that's Which is unbelievable. Dog, so. The only thing they have to pay yeah. for when the time comes is getting to one of your campuses for that two weeks of training. But I mean, all these we, other costs are asked, you pay for that too? We actually pay for transportation as well. Yes, oh my we do. Goodness. We do. There I yes. was thinking, we well, don't. at least they could get themselves there. But that's not always easy. <laughs> Yeah, no, it's not easy, and um, and we don't want there to be any, you know, big financial barrier, you know, for people wow. to to be able to choose this this lifestyle, um, and you know, so basically the person has to have, you know, a, a safe home environment for a dog, and and be able to cover the cost of the food. So, wow, um, and then a lot of our graduates, a lot of our graduates do their own, you know, they do donate to us. They really? um, they take their dogs to the vet and don't ask for, for reimbursement and that kind of thing to you. But if people need help, we're here to help them. I do think that the Animal Medical Center in New York City, which is the only nonprofit teaching hospital for veterinarians for higher education in the country, I do believe they offer free medical care of any kind to guide dogs. So that's something. Yep. Yep. You, do you know that to be the case? Yeah, well, I know, I, I'm not, not familiar with that particular facility, but a lot of facilities, a lot of veterinarian, um, sorry, veterinarians across the country will just out of the kindness of their heart um, and, and they understand the mission and the purpose of what service animals do for people with disabilities will treat the, their animals for, um, for either reduced cost or no cost at all, which is super helpful. That's pretty fantastic. Last month, September, was Service Dog Awareness Month. Was that a month when you guys get more busy than other times? I'm, I'm, you know, very aware of Canines for Warriors, the the PTSD, emotional support, and sometimes physical support dogs, because Canine Advantix um, gives them all of their product, all of their graduates, and is one of the sponsors of the Dog Film Festival. But I imagine that's a pretty important month for you too, for outreach, for fundraising. Yes, absolutely, absolutely, and. Um... And and we've really 
um, it's a it's a great opportunity just to kind of talk a little bit more about what yes. we do, um, so the people that might be able to benefit can really you know understand what their options are. And what about is there still a component where you're interested in educating the public? about people with guide dogs? Because I know years ago, it was sort of like the don't pet me, I'm working, and people didn't quite understand, people, the sighted people that are around the person working as a team didn't really understand that when you're holding the harness, the dog's working, when you're holding the leash, the dog's kind of on a chill out. Is that something that is important to you or do people just sort it out for themselves? No, that's absolutely important. And I think think when... um, you know, one of the great things about having a guide dog is that they really serve as a social bridge. Yes. So, you know, people don't come up to you when you have a cane and say, what a beautiful cane. <laughs> uh, but when you, when you have one of these gorgeous dogs with you, you know, they come up and they, wanna, they want to, to talk with the dog. And, and, um, and then also they get to know you a little bit, too, which is great. And so letting people know the, you know, the, the best etiquette for that is important to us. Yes. So, we and of always course, say, you, can, you know, oh, yeah. sorry, go ahead. You can, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, we always say, you know, you know, ask first before you, right. before you engage with a guide dog, because the dog might be working at the time, you know, if, especially if they're actually walking and stuff, then just yeah. leave them alone. Because <laughs> otherwise it'd be like me, me like, you know, grabbing your steering wheel while you're driving. Yes, so, yes exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I, I, that's how I met you and Will. I, I just want to say that there, one of the films in the Dog Film Festival next week is called Sniff, and it's in the first um, group of films that are the British films, which are funny. And mm-hmm. very. this one's hilariously funny. It's two British guys that come to America, and they have to work as concierges at a dog hotel, and they're wearing dog costumes, but they decide they want to make a movie. And one of them wants to make a movie about the raising of a guide dog puppy, and he makes this little oh. documentary, and it's not so little. It's excellent. It's in the movie. The other guy wants to study uh, a canine protection sniff bomb dog so he makes his Uh documentary and the man who made it who's already been on the show he has uh made possible that that blind people can listen to that uh, a simultaneous description of what's going on which you probably know about which i'd never heard of before so that Mm -hmm. anybody not cited i will say that if anybody comes to symphony space for that show for the british show and you have a guide dog. Uh, you are welcome to come as my guest, and you will actually be able to listen to the description of what other people are seeing on the screen, as, as well as hear the wonderful English accents of Amanda Plummer at Al. There was a story that you told me about Will, your beautiful yellow lab, who's just Mr. Gorgeous. I mean, he's got these big <laughs> brown eyes. You hang on tight. Someone's going to dog nap him while you're looking the other way. But you told me this story about him taking you to the bathroom that I found so interesting because here you were, we were in this kind of curious space of Christie's that had kind of cocktail hour going on. And there were staircases, very difficult to navigate, I would think, to a blind person or even to a dog, airy staircases. And I said, so how do you get around this building? How do you know to get even out? I, I got lost trying to get out of it. And, and how do you know about the bathroom? So explain how that works and, and the fact that he learns to offer things to you, which just amazed me. Yeah, well, he he's great, and one of the one of his great qualities, and it's a, it's a quality that's important in all guide dogs, is sort of that initiative. So once they kind of get an idea of 
of your routine and, and things that you do, they'll start to sort of offer you those things. Um, for the the bathroom, you know, we were we had the opportunity to be at Christie's for a couple of days, just um, sharing with the public about guide dogs. And so um, I did first have some had a person show me where the bathroom was, and right outside the bathroom, I gave Wills a little cookie, um, you know, dog cookie, dog treat. <laughs> And so after that, I'd say, let's go to the bathroom. He'd take me right there, no problem. Um, So they really do start to kind of learn that, um, you know, at airports and things like that, he'll start to kind of show me, you know, he he can kind of figure out how to get back through security and out to the, you know, kind of take you to the first door they find and, and that kind of thing. They're just, they have a lot of, a lot of drive to, to please you. um, And the cookie is a great way to. Well, obviously, positive reinforcement continues yes. throughout their life. Yes. We don't do enough positive yes. reinforcement with other humans, I'd like to say. I you agree. Know, you know, I when agree. you're three, you're looking for the gold star. Then you're th- then you're 13 and 30, and you're like, there's no gold stars. Where's my positive yeah, reinforcement? Yeah, right? Yeah, we should, we should learn from Will. We're coming close to, to the end of our time, Teresa. I just would love you to recount the other uh, guide dog partners you've had, and several of them still live with you. It's just, it's it's a, a love fest over at over at the Stern household. So, who are the other guys that still live with you? Yeah, it's pretty crazy. So I have my um, retired guide dog, Dario. He's a black lab. And he's actually turning a little silver on his face now. He's Aww. adorable. He's 11. And then um, I have a retired breeder, which is actually my husband was a breeder custodian before we met and fell in love and got married. So I, I found my, got, my, my husband at Guide Dogs, too. My job. Oh, my dog. so great. <laughs> <laughs> so we have him. So I've got the three big labs at home now. Yeah. Yeah. And, but my, past, other, my other two have passed. Mm-hmm. And they, so you've had a lot in your life and, uh, and mm-hmm. it just is testament to the, to the importance of this bond and to the value of these dogs and to the willingness. And also you pointed out to me that when they, when they don't wear any work anymore, I think eight and maybe even 10 is their retirement age. But, but one of your guys, I don't know if it was Dario, just told you that's enough for me now. Yeah, that was Dario. Yeah, yeah, he was he was done. I remember we were um, we were, and, and the thing is, every dog is different, so they all yes. sort of retire at different ages. But um, we were at a conference, and um, and he was, you know, he was lounging on the bed, and I'm like, let's go downstairs. We got to go to work, and he's just like. Yeah, you go ahead. <laughs> I'm good right here. He did not want to get up and do anything. So I'm like, oh, okay, I think that he's probably, you know, he's it's done. It's very touching. And, I'm sure you, you went to the vet first to make sure there was nothing wrong, right? I mean, there, Oh, of course. of course. Yeah, no, of course. But it was, you know, he was always kind of a little more of a, of a lazy guy anyway. Yeah, yeah. To will. yeah. But, it was not, he was, not, yeah, trying there to was offer, nothing. not trying to offer you the movie theater or anything else. Yeah, no. No, no, he was done. So he's just a happy little pet dog now. Um, and it's funny because he's still, he's still kind of in charge. Like, I'm still his person. So, you know, um, so he still will, like, you know, want me to pet him first before I pet the other dogs and that kind of thing. But, Interesting. Um, it really but yeah, is. He's, he's enjoying his retirement for well, sure. Well, it's great. I, I'm, I'm going to figure out some way to get the movie Sniff to you, to maybe for guide dogs, maybe for when you have those two-week sessions and you have all oh, the, be- the, the new people there and you could show it. Wouldn't that be great? That's awesome. Yeah, that would be awesome. with that yeah. audio thing that exp- I, I, it has a proper name that I've already forgotten. But so that descriptive pe- video. There mm-hmm. you go. Mm-hmm. 
scripted video. Yeah. Okay, I'm going to work on that. Okay, that would be something that if there's awesome. a cost to it, I would love to to underwrite it and and have it there because wouldn't that be a fun thing? And it has oh, that's in it. so that would be great. Teresa, you that are doing amazing. such good things with so much joy and enthusiasm. It was just so great to meet you and so thrilled you could come back and talk a little bit about the importance of these amazing animals and of Guide Dogs for the Blind as an organization. It certainly is someplace that people could choose to leave something to in their will, or if you win the raffle you could, or the lottery, you could give a little, <laughs> a little to, to, it, to someplace that is changing so many lives in such incredibly positive ways. Thank you so much, and I look forward to sending you that movie Sniff after the Dog Film Festival debuts it. Great. Thank you so much. It's a great opportunity. We'll talk again another time, I hope. Bye-bye. We'll be right back after this quick word with Benita Raffin and her movie, Pete the Dog. This show is brought to you with the generous support of Halo, holistic, natural cat and dog foods, which are made from real ingredients you can recognize. Halo uses real meat in their kibble, no rendered byproducts, chicken meal, or chemicals. And their new grain-free recipes, like Vigor, give you even more healthy choices for your pet's dinner, while Daily Greens brings vitamins and digestive enzymes into your dog's diet. Halo is a private company partly owned by Ellen DeGeneres, where they emphasize giving back, by making donations to shelters through freekibble.com for pets awaiting a forever home. I am back with Benita Raffin and her movie, Pete the Dog. She's a professional filmmaker and does a lot of cutting-edge, really interesting filmmaking. And Pete the Dog definitely jumped out at me the minute that I saw it as the work of a film artist. But the message within it is so different than many of the messages in movies in the dog film festival and yet a very important one it's a little bit sad it's a little bit discouraging but it's extremely real and a really important piece of information and message and kind of a a wake-up call is a a cheesy phrase but there you have it benita welcome to the show it's great to have you here thank you and thank you so much for inviting me well thank you for submitting pete the dog and for having had the, the sort of vision and courage to make that movie, because it really is a movie about a failure, wouldn't you say? A failure of the system, a failure of a dog to be able to live in a way, in a place that, that worked for him and for you. I mean, do you see that as, it's a sad story, but an important one. I see it as a failure of of communication, even when you first adopted him. And I think that is part of your message, No. Well, that's that's a really good question. And ultimately, this film was a journey, like any film that I would make. And it was a very personal story that I felt was important to tell. And like anything we do in life, we we really go forward with the best of intentions, yes. you know, if it's a job or if it's a marriage or if yes. it's children. Or, and I felt that this was an important story to tell because we never know what is going to happen. And I felt that the film would resonate with other people. And it certainly has. But like anything we do in life, it's, you know, it's a journey. There's twists and turns, there's murky areas, and for me, adopting a dog, I became, you know, fascinated and wrapped up, and it became 
like it was a PhD subject. Yes. I needed to learn every possible thing that I could do as an owner and as a caregiver to provide uh, an incredible life for this dog that was in my home. Now, what's interesting and, is that he was not a happy dog. He arrived to you not a happy dog. He had issues. And I think that what's important in a, in a film festival that gives half of the proceeds of every ticket to, uh, to a shelter or a rescue, in the case of New York City, it's the Alliance for New York City's Animals, is to tell the other side of it. It's not all happy love, oh, we ran in the park together and everything's all good. It can be a very rocky road to making a relationship with a dog or creating an environment for a dog where he's happy because if he's not happy, it's misery for the humans too, right? Well, again, nothing, as as you know, nothing in life is ever black and white. I mean, this was an adorable, loving, sweet, wonderful dog who was exuberant and yes. really had a lot of joy and, you know, was cuddly and looked up at me and was... He was an incredibly smart dog. And when I say was, I'm speaking. In right, he's alive. Right. Yes, he is. But the concept is that, you know, I think that we you know, go into many people I know that I did. I had dogs as a child. And, you know, I imagine this dog would be in my home and, you know, curling up in bed and, you know, fetching a ball. And suddenly here's a dog. And I realized that, it's a completely different situation. This is a different species. He's in my home and it's my job to learn everything I can to make this dog comfortable and to figure out how to change the environment to make the environment work for him. He was not comfortable. And he was, he was, a, a, he was a city dog who was having a really hard time with the city and, and in the film, you, in very creative filmic ways, talk about all the various ways in which you tried to make life better for him, including, um, and at the end of the movie, there's even a, 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 if you will, a stamp of approval from Dr. Elise Christensen, who's been on this show before. She's the only board certified uh, behavior veterinary behaviorist in New York City, and she totally supported your efforts to understand what made him tick and to understand that living in the city was not possible for him. He could not handle all of that, I guess you'd say, sensory input. Would you think that's well put? Or, or how, did, how did you come out? If you had to explain to somebody, they said, well, I thought you adopted that dog, Pete. How do you explain to somebody in an elevator story why Pete went to live with people in the country? Well, that's a really interesting point that you present. And the thing was that when I adopted Pete, it had not been explained to me that this dog had never been outside. Um, you know, we think right. dogs, grass, trees. So I brought him home and it was not told that the original owner had, you know, purchased him from a pet store or I think it was purchased from a pet store or, you know, bought from puppy mill. But, but he had been inside a home or in an apartment up until he was relinquished to the shelter. And that was not explained to me. So suddenly, it, you know, it was difficult understanding that this dog was not used to going outside. So 
I'm my brother-in-law is from Minnesota and, you know, being in New York city can be difficult for people. That's but right. Again. So, so, and, and you know what New York is like, but this was something that had not come into the equation. And um, to quote Dr. Susan Friedman, who's a great educator on people and animals and who Dr. Christensen also um, you know, is a big believer in Susan Friedman says behavior is a study of one. So suddenly it's important to take Pete, this dog, and forget, you know, right. or, or take right. away what we know about dogs and understand you know, why is why is this Pete's reaction? And so it took a, a while to understand he's reacting this way because this is a completely unfamiliar environment to him. And he's and he's lost the moment of of acceptance. I mean, we all know that if you can reach a puppy between 8 and 12 weeks old, which many people can't because they adopt an older dog, that's when you introduce them to every different kind of person, every different piece of machinery, every different kind of pavement under their feet. Because then there's a fear period where being introduced to these things, even as a youngster, it's like, whoa, that's prickly, that's hot, that's cold, that's wet. And then they get used to it. But if you take a dog that's an adult and it's never had these experiences, Maybe some dogs would be okay with it. We, we hear of dogs coming out of hoarding situations and horrible conditions, and they adjust pretty darn well. I mean, the, the movie The Champions in, in the Dog Film Festival, which is about the Michael Vick fighting dogs, which were never off of a chain and were mistreated in, in extreme ways. They'd never been in a house. They'd never been on a floor in a house. They'd never been free and loose. It took years with very intense one-on-one, you know, costly best friends in Utah treatment and rehabilitation and intervention and some of them couldn't quite make it and others made the transition but it is a study of one isn't it each each animal that's been basically sensorily deprived we don't know how far they can go when offered a normal life absolutely and um to accompany the film i created a website and on the site i interviewed four uh, world-renowned specialists in dogs and animal behavior. Of course, Dr. Christensen is one of those people. And I was able to learn a lot since that. And my hope is that other people will find incredible solutions, will not give up on their dogs, will, um, you mentioned, you know, Utah. And um, I, at the time, was looking at training videos made by incredible people, you know, Dr. Sophia Yin and people certainly like, Dr. Christensen, and then I noticed in each situation, this person is working, you know, on a cul-de-sac, a grassy area. Right. This person is working, and that is something that people in New York City, in urban areas, is completely a different situation. When you have a dog that, and I'm sure you you've come across this as well, the trigger stacking that in a sensory environment like New York creates can be extremely difficult. And um, so when the dog does not have a chance to kind of renew or have a cortisol break, as they say, it's hard for him to take in new information. But I, it is important to understand that this was, you know, Pete was a great dog and we did nose work. We did all kinds of training inside and he could learn something and I could teach him a new skill and he could pick it up like within five minutes. I mean, he's wow. an incredibly intelligent dog. 
And it was a matter of finding those things that he was interested in and those things that he found reinforcing. And so that's why it's important for other people to know it's not like there was no solution. Right. But really, the, the, the solution was to find things that he was comfortable with, that he found reinforcing ways of training him and you know, using positive reinforcement, using force feed training, and using ways to stimulate his brain so that he was playing with a puzzle. He was looking for food. He was doing, you know, playing a game and was not focusing on the, you know, the neighbors, you know, hallway noises. And so I think there are great possibilities and great potential for dogs. We know more now about how to care, how to care for them well than we knew, you know, five or 10 years ago. That's for sure. And it's a matter, yeah, and so it's a matter for owners of really finding those resources and a wonderful thing that wasn't even available at the time that I had Pete, but that's available now. Are, there's online training, and so we're able to consult with you know, these specialists at a distance, which that's wasn't right. available. And I subsequently adopted another dog who was... Um, not from New York, but I was able to foster him to adopt. So see, you know, how he would do in the situation. This time I met with Dr. Christensen at the beginning, you know, like a new right, dog package. Right. Like what, what can I do for this dog that will support him and help him adjust and help him you know, do well in this environment. And it was a completely different situation. So I think, getting the right kind of advice from the beginning can also be incredibly helpful for dog owners, dog guardians, dog caregivers. And that is also a very important message in the film. Yes. And, and one of the, one of the things that you most lamented was that the rescue organization, when you asked, should I get help? Should I find a trainer or behavior? So you're like, no, he'll work it out because they really, you know, each re just like each dog is, is just the one each rescue situation, shelter, on that day, how much that person who's, you know, handing the dog over really knows about the dog, what kind of uh, temperament and behavior uh, information they have about a dog. It varies from case to case, but it would have changed things for you and probably lowered the, the frustration and the massive amount of time and angst and energy and money that you put into Pete to try and find a solution which actually, given the deficit that he arrived to you with, a deficit of sensory input, he was just in a state of alarm and shock anytime the idea of leaving the apartment happened, would have would have made for a, a, a would have probably come to the same outcome sooner. It's interesting because next week I'm going to be interviewing a lady who wrote a book called Considerations for the City Dog, uh, Melissa McHugh McGrath, and it's really to say not all dogs can make a life in the city. You have to look at the environment for any dog to be successful and that noise-sensitive dogs don't belong in the city because they're always going to be noise-sensitive. So, you know, that's something that no one's written that book before. And people in rescue might say, well, come on, don't, don't put off people into thinking that not all dogs are great in all situations. But I think you and I and many other people would say, oh, oh do make people aware of that. Not every dog is going to work in every situation. I mean, Dr. Donna Spector, who's a board-certified internist and my co-host on my show, The Expert Vet on the Radio Pet Lady Network, I just visited her in Chicago recently when I had the Dog Film Festival there, and she got in this great 
puppy mix and we were at this gorgeous dog park and this dog was wild and fun and running and getting wet and dirty and playing with other dogs. She had a Jack Russell for years, a pure Jack Russell that never wanted to go for a walk its whole life. It wanted to be a lap dog. So who would know? Jack Russells are supposed to be such outdoorsy dogs and full of energy. So as you point out in the movie, every dog's an individual and you do your best to give them a life that is right for them. But in some cases, it may not be right for you. And and that's something that it's better to face up to it than put the, your head in the sand, right? Absolutely. And I think that there are so many things that we can do that really make a difference. I mean, just one example with the dog that I have now, he was from Kentucky and most likely, you know, I've discussed it with Dr. Christensen, probably was a backyard dog and a yes. really big part of our life together is that every single morning we're in the park. And, yes. and I don't mean a dog park, you know, which is an enclosed area where you stay. No, you know, we're out in the, right. And we're out, you know, in the grass and the trees. And people always say to me, I, I can't believe you're doing this every day, but that's what dogs like. As, yes. As yes. You, know, you know, I mean, walking around the block or walking around the block with multiple dogs, that's, you know, dogs are animals. And so they, want to animals in the sense of trees and grass and smelling well, some things. Of them, some of them. I mean, a, a friend of mine adopted a, or, or bought slash adopted a year old Havanese that was supposed to be bred and had a little bit of a heart murmur. So the breeder wanted to have him uh, neutered and, and find a, a, a pet home for him. And that dog lived, I think, only inside her house for a year. And that dog lives part of the time on Park Avenue. And every step he takes on that block, he hates it. And he has a house in the country. He doesn't like that much either. He just likes to be inside with the person. So, you know, that's not that different than Pete. So my dogs and I insist on at least 30 to 45 minutes of a semi-hike every day. I live in Vermont. And it doesn't matter what the weather is. It could rain. It could be boiling. It could be icy or snowy. We find a way. We all put on our cloggy boots, you know. But I think, For sure. I think the point of your movie as we wrap up, Benita, is that Pete the dog shows us that every dog's an individual and we, can, we go as far as we can to give them a great life and have them share a great life. And, and at, at the point at which we discover we can't do that as much as we'd like to, it's okay to look for a better life for them and a different fit for us. So I think the movie's brilliant and courageous and marvelous to look at. And we've run out of time, but I, I can't wait to see you in New York at the Dog Film Festival next week and, and have you have the experience of everyone watching your movie and, and learning and loving from it. So thank you so much. Great. Well, thank you very much for having me here, and I can't wait to see you at the film festival and be a part of all the excitement. It's going to be a blast. You take care. Thanks so much for making that movie. Well, I'm looking forward to seeing all of you next Saturday, all day in the city, 11, 2, 5, and 8. That's how many movies you're going to have to go to. Oh, my God. There are all-access dog tags available on the website, so you can buy an all-access tag that lets you come and go from all the movies. You can come in, you can come out, you can go out and eat and do whatever you want. So, I recommend doing that VIP seating and the chance to come and go at will. Thank you all for listening. I hope to see as many of you as possible next week in the city. And we will talk again soon. 